adventure, nightlife, entertainment. It's all waiting for you in the region of Richmond, Virginia. Journey through nature's expansive playground where the beauty speaks for itself. Feast on elevated local dining. Relive Virginia's rich history at Richmond's exquisite museums. Whether you're into sports, theater, music, amusement parks, or whitewater rafting on the James River, there's something for everyone in the Richmond region. The best part? You can get there on a tank of gas or less. What are you waiting for? Start planning your getaway. Go to visitrichmondva.com. Hey, pull up a chair. It's Hacks on Tap with David Axelrod, Robert Gibbs, and Mike Murphy. Well, X, happy Turkey Day. I hope you had a good one, and I hope you're moving under your own power. You don't need a wheelbarrow like I do after the gore. <laughs> yeah, well, the reason you need a wheelbarrow, you, you cook for 20, and you have like two. No, exactly. That happened to me. And uh, you know who's here today? I think we have a great guest, and don't forget to plug her excellent podcast either. Just something about her on Recount. Jen Palmieri, a former White House communications director, uh, political commentator, strategist extraordinaire. Circus Animal on Showtime, an excellent one on The Great Show. Here from, uh, had a root canal this morning, I understand. So anything she says, she can't be held accountable for. <laughs> uh, uh, Jen, I'm going to send you some Republican brochures right now while you're in a weakened mental state and see if I can switch you over for 30 minutes. But uh, it's great to have you here. Uh, I'm honored to be here, honored to be considered a hack, which I know is, is high praise from oh, both of you. big honorific. Totally, you, you belong. You belong. Yay! So, so hacks of the world unite here. I have a question for you two seasoned observers of this thing. It had looked for a while like the president was going to semi-quietly accept his defeat and kind of peter out quietly, sulk, you know, start a streaming network, uh, call people and irritate them. But then this weekend, the Kraken was back. Insane tweets. It's all a fraud. You know, even as the, the, the curtain is clearly fall in 30 lawsuits or more than that rejected the we're explaining the count in a minute and he also started going after republican governors who don't believe in like burning down the election results and creating a fantasy election he went over after the Ducey, the governor of arizona and he he's always kind of hated brian kemp down in georgia even though kemp is a very trumpian kind of paul so do we think this is the windup for the big crazy times demand a crazy president finish and that could be troubling no, What's I mean, I think it's the launching pad for for what's next. I, I, first of all, his personal psyche doesn't allow him. The, the worst yeah. word in the, in the English language as far as Trump is concerned is loser. And he was never going to accept that designation. But the other thing is, um, you know, it's very clear that, uh, you know, he, his whole political project is based on aggrievement uh, and anger and uh, the idea that he was— cheated out of the presidency and and by extension all his supporters were cheated out of him uh is going to be the launching pad for whatever his next you know he's going to take his act down the road to newsmax or somewhere and 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 launch the resistance on day one to biden and by the way monetize it along the way 
Um, it, I had heard that over the weekend, some of his staff were trying to let it settle in with him that he was going to lose. And it feels like that's what happened, right? But instead of reality taking hold, he comes back this week with just a, like renewed vigor to fight it or at least tell, like as David, as you say, it's like tell his own version of that, of that story. One that where he can still be the winner, even though he has not won. But what's interesting to me is what the Republicans are doing. You know, he's going after Ducey. He's going after, um, you know, Brad Ravensburg, Kemp. Brad Ravensburg, also the Georgia Republican, Georgia. Um, you know, he's going after Republicans. And how they react is very interesting to me, right? Because I don't, Mike Murphy, I do not get what the post-Trump Republican long-term game plan is. We don't know, but I, I think there's an interesting science experiment happening now because the Repubs don't know where they're going to go. They, they they want freedom, but they're terrified. So now we're going to have the lab experience. By the way, just parenthetically, I am getting a huge horse laugh out of all these White House enabling staffers who have ran out to read the Albert Speer biography, and they're all now doing the whitewash to the press. There have been <laughs> about five of these stories, and the reporters are always soft on their sources. You know, White House staffers know he's lost. They're worried for America. They stopped him from blowing up Paris. They never were worry on board the whole thing. They, quite, you know, <laughs> bullshit. But, but anyway, uh, uh, there's a thing called the Trump Accountability Project, which Hari, and I'm going to mangle his last name, the great Democratic press guy is doing, and mm-hmm. I'm, I'm looking forward to that. As far as the party, the, the lab experiment is going to be, as he goes after the Ducey's and the Kemp's, what does it do to him? They're still around in 90 days, and, you know, life yeah. goes on. Then the party will start saying, you know what? You can take a Twitter blast from Trump, and you don't immediately have riots and instant primaries. So Trump's kind of playing his Ray gun card now. And, you know, we'll see over the next 180 days how much grip he really has. The perception is he, he's the, the absolute, you know, gravity field of the Republican Party because he has been. But I don't know. I, I think I've always had the contrarian opinion, and David laughs at me for this, that his <laughs> his tiny fingers are going to slip from the throat of the GOP over the next year and a half. And the test will be the midterm primary season, where yeah. some non-Trumpy people beat Trumpy people in a few primaries. Because you guys remember Harris Wofford, one election that everybody watches, now it's health care. <laughs> so we're gonna we're gonna have that experience right. to reset DC one way or the other. But I, David's totally right. He is in business. He's gonna buy an airship. He's gonna have a streaming network. He's gonna float around trying to be the center of attention. That's fine. I'm fine with that. And he's gonna use the cash that these poor suckers who are sending in money for his legal defense fund uh, on this election. He's gonna take that cash, which is being siphoned off to a a, a super pack of his at his direction, uh, and he's going to use it to fund uh, those activities. Yeah, let me just rant about that for 10 seconds. <laughs> Literally, Bernie Madoff is sitting in a prison cell somewhere, like saying, well done, <laughs> because what happens is little old lady gets the Republican, the RNC direct mail or internet email, urgent, defend the president. You click, you give them the $30. They are diverting 75% of that money right into a Trump-controlled super PAC that has nothing to do with the RNC, a slush fund for Trump to do whatever the hell he wants with, run for president, fly around, you know, all the crazy Trump stuff, pay himself Mar-a-Lago. Pay for lawyers to defend him against all the many. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, pay Rudy Giuliani to be insane on television. You know, it is unbelievable. It is fraud against Republican donors. And I'll tell you, some of us are talking about a class action donor lawsuit. 
because this is unbelievable what they're doing. You you see, by the way, that that uh, Rudy was asking uh, is asking the president uh, reportedly uh, for a prophylactic pardon yeah. uh, against any federal charges. I, I still I, I think the pardon truck is going to unload. Yeah, uh, sometime in in the near future. If I were the pillow guy, I'd go rob a bank because I don't think I'd do a day of jail. <laughs> Yeah, but on only on the federal level, you still got yeah, you know, you still got your your U.S. attorneys that can. Come. I'd quickly cross state lines. The, um, <laughs> yes. yeah, you still have your problems. I think you're right, Murphy. I mean, I had this I had this discussion with John Heilman. You know, he thinks that um, Trump will continue to be a major force, and that I'm fooling myself. But I do wonder. I feel like the air may go out of the balloon. Like it just it's yeah. really hard to sustain the kind of fervored. Uh, uh, you know, passion that his supporters have for him when he can't pick big fights, when he's only picking little fights yep. or commentating from the sidelines. I don't know how he sustains it or maybe it's wishful thinking. He is setting himself up as he is most effective as the, you know, as a counter the establishment. And he's branding all Republicans who 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 are not on board with him as as part of the establishment. And you're right, Murphy. I mean, the question is, can he successfully mount primary challenges against some of these people? Because, you know, you look at polling, the Wall Street Journal NBC poll always asks this question about whether you consider yourself, uh, you know, a Republican or a, a Trumpy. And large numbers of people said they were there for Trump. And so the question is, can he, you know, can he weaponize that and, and you know, take out a few people uh, just to terrorize the rest of the party he he will try but i remember hearing the same song in a minor key about sarah palin who you you know for six months ruled the republican party now you can hire her to open a car wash for 500 bucks so so we're see the other question is what will the media do will they fall for this and give him 24 7 coverage or will they treat him like another republican post-election who lost and may run again which means he deserves coverage but are they going to fall for the same trick they fell for in 2015 and and go for clicks and eyeballs and just turn over the network to the Trump reality show? Or are they going to say, you know what, he's going to have to earn this by going out and winning a straw poll or a contest or some more traditional yardstick? I think that's the discussion they ought to have internally. Yeah, they'll give him attention. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, think they- I wouldn't bet against you on that, but they ought to. They ought to. I'm not sure that the audiences will want it. Again, though, just because if he's just, you know, the 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 fascination in 2015 was this man's actually running for president. Could he ever be president? We could never imagine that that happened. And the unimaginable has already happened. I'm not sure what he can do for his second act that can draw our attention that same well, way. part of it is he's going to lead the resistance to uh, to Biden. And, you know, one thing right. about Trump is that his great inspiration is that if you light yourself on fire, people will come. And, you know, he is like made of asbestos. He lights himself uh, on fire all the time and people do come. And I, I agree with Jen. I, I, I think that it's, uh, it, you know, it's it's hard to turn away from the from the blaze. Uh, he knows he's good copy. Uh, he's good TV, and he's pretty clever at uh, creating uh, events. You know, turning taking some obscure thing or some conspiracy theory and turning it into an event. I'm I mean, I I don't applaud it. Uh, I don't look <laughs> forward to it. But I'm done underestimating Trump. Just uh, he has a. Uh, I've always said he has a kind of feral genius for this stuff. Yeah. 
I, I agree, trained by the New York tabloid wars, but he's picking another dangerous fight beyond all his legal trouble, which is he wants he really wants to be the resistance against Fox News, you know, being motivated by personal grievance. So he's going to go get into the Newsmax and the OAN business. But taking on an entrenched distribution channel like Fox News with these two things that are kind of rickety financially, you know, maybe he'll write a check, but I think he's got bigger money problems. I don't think he writes checks. Yeah, exactly. If I'm the the crafty people atop the billion-dollar Fox News empire, I'm like, all right, he's going to go take over Prime and go after our business. So let's invent our own Trump here. Uh, We're going to make Dan Crenshaw into a superstar or somebody. So Fox isn't going to take this lying down, and they are a big elephant with a zillion eyeballs, and they know the language of the, of the Trump world. So I, we're C, but I'm, I'm a little short all this. You know, we are a, we're sort of a, we, a, a bellwether a, uh, for all of political talk. And here we are, we're 12, <laughs> 13 minutes into our discussion, and we're talking about Trump. You know, even as, you know, Jen says that he doesn't, he hasn't accepted that he's lost. They, they ought to take him over to the window and make him watch the moving vans uh show up uh, outside the white house maybe that will help but uh but he's on his way out we've got a new president whether he accepts it or not and yet he's still you know just by being kind of a jerk and just a a, a, a provocative asshole he is uh, garnering a lot of attention yeah, well, that's his thing. Shake the rattle. Let's do a little bit of the nerd minute here to just decode what's going on because, you know, the process I'll is I'll leave so this to you guys. Yeah, all right. <laughs> gonna, yeah, arithmetic is involved here. <laughs> so what has happened in the last week is the big six contested states, the Pennsylvanias and Michigans and Wisconsin's Arizona, have all certified the results of the election officially. Now, what that means is all the Rudy Giuliani make-believe lawsuits were trying to stop that. The lawsuits got thrown out, and it happened. So now the governors of both parties are signing the proclamations that start the process for the the College of Electricians, uh, as we say in the Detroit, the Electoral College to meet on the 15th of, of um, December and seal this Bunch of live deal. wires. <laughs> <laughs> so... The bottom line is this oh is God. we are we are over the hump on this thing and now it is coming in for a real landing and I think uh even Trump uh uh privately understands that. So that that's a big thing. So for people who've been worried about the 7 days in May and the post office is going to be armed and march on the ballot, you know, some federal trickery that we're through the big moment for all that stuff and now it is we're we're the the zipper is 2 thirds up the fleece. <laughs> it's still true that, um, however, that most of the members of Congress have been silent. It's the kind of thing that people forget pretty quickly, particularly once, you know, Biden is sworn in and they're fighting with each other over a stimulus package or whatever. I mean, we used to have a politics where shame actually had an impact. Yeah, that those days are gone, man. That's gone. That's, That's gone. the big now, switch, now, right? That's the big we, switch. We run superpower politics like uh, circus politics. And uh, no, no offense to a great Showtime show, but uh, <laughs> it's just out the window, that stuff, and it's tragic. Okay, then let's take a break right here, and we'll be right back. You know, Gibbs, every once in a while uh, on Twitter, people will write in and say, Axe, you make me nauseous. But nausea is nothing to joke about. 
it's like getting stuck in the back of a car and you're kind of a little bit hemmed in and you just, you get that feeling and it starts in your stomach. It's not. Yeah. And you, and, and like you're on your way to something good, a, a celebration or party or something. And now you're nauseous and you can't get rid of it, except there is an answer now and it's called relief band. Tell us about relief band. Relief Band is the number one FDA-cleared anti-nausea wristband that has been clinically proven to quickly relieve and effectively prevent nausea and vomiting associated with motion sickness, anxiety, migraines, hangovers, morning sickness, chemotherapy, and so much more. The product is 100% drug-free, non-drowsy, and provides all-natural relief with zero side effects, zero for as long as needed. The technology was originally developed over 20 years ago in hospitals to relieve nausea from patients, but now through Relief Band, it's available to all of us. Here's how it works with Relief Band. It stimulates a nerve in the wrist that travels to the part of the brain that controls nausea. Then it blocks the signal your brain is sending to your stomach telling you that you're sick. Relief Band is the only over-the-counter wearable device that has been used in hospitals and oncology clinics to treat nausea and vomiting. If you know somebody who deals with nausea, Relief Band makes a great gift. I'm telling you, Relief Band works. We know from our own experience. We sent one to our engineer who often gets nauseous during our shows, and he reports 100% cure. Don't fall for those cheap bands you see in drugstores or on your Instagram feed. All right. Right now, Relief Band has an exclusive offer just for our Hacks listeners. If you go to reliefband.com and use promo code HACKS, you'll receive 20% off plus free shipping and a no questions asked 30-day money-back guarantee. So head to reliefband, R-E-L-I-E-F-B-A-N-D, Dot com and use our promo code HACKS for 20% off plus free shipping. Let, let us move on to the actual president-elect uh, and, and what he's up to and his initial moves cabinet wise what what do they tell us yeah. and how do you think he's doing i feel like they've done really great by this this, this tells you you know like it's not just that the biden team is experienced relative to the trump team right which is a relatively low bar um um but they're they are other level experienced right these are all people that david and i worked with in the obama white house you know ron Klain, the chief of staff was you know, he was chief of staff to Vice President Gore, to Vice President Biden. He uh, ran the, was like the Ebola czar. He's just had so much experience. And, you know, I was in Wilmington on what was supposed to be election night, but it ended up being election week. And um, it's just so classic to me. One of the one of the first days, like maybe Thursday or Friday before Biden had actually won a reporter, more than one reporter said to me, you know, they're going to have a diverse cabinet, but they're not going to have a diverse White House and the white guys are still going to run the White House. And what do you think about that? And I was like, well, why don't we give it a minute <laughs> and let them and see how they handle uh, the appointments. And I just think they've been very um, deft in creating a very diverse cabinet and White House. But also it's because the Democrats worked hard to have a good deep bench of talent, right? And that's why they're able to um, to do this. That's why they're able to have 
the all-female communications team, people are, you know, excited about that. Um, and I think that is great. But the, the what, what's really neat is I don't think they set out to create an all-female team. It's just the best people, the most obvious people for the job happen to be a diverse group of women, right? And that's progress. On substance, you know, his economic team got introduced yeah. yesterday. And they're, to a person, they're people who are very steeped in uh in 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 raging uh, in in creating jobs and 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 uh, and raising wages, uh, and it's consonant with what Biden has promised. It's where he should go. Um, I think um, you know marshalling a big economic plan that uh, in which the broadest number of Americans can see themselves and dealing with this issue of inequality, uh, creating a sense that there's opportunity out there, uh, hugely uh, important. You know, and, and on the uh, communications team, uh, Jen Psaki, uh, as press secretary, one of the truly greatest people and one of the greatest talents uh, that mm-hmm. I've seen. And she will be such a contrast with what we've seen in the last four years. I mean, she'll restore... Um, integrity and dignity to the to that yeah. platform, and she'll be honest and uh, and and informative, and it, it will be great. And the rest of the team uh, is good as well. My question to you is: It is obvious that they're an all female team. Why not just let people draw their own conclusions about it rather than shining a bright light on that? You know, when Obama ran for president, we were pretty yeah. conscious about not saying. He's, this is a historic candidacy. He's running to be the first black president. Yeah, you got all that for free, just being who he was. Right. I worry a little bit about that the the the, the choices themselves are being over overwhelmed by a focus on fulfilling the diversity pledge. And in some ways it diminishes yeah. the people who are taking those offices and, and, and maybe counterproductive. I think that's a fair concern, X. I mean, that's why when I talk about it, and that's why I just said, like, I don't think they actually set out to create, to say, okay, in communications, the way we're going to deal with diversity there is we're going to have a, it all be women, right? It just, it happened that they were, I mean, Saki is unparalleled qualifications, unparalleled qualifications. It's like every moment in her life has been building to this moment where you really need someone that has foreign policy experience and the trust of the president um and just and you know someone of like of such integrity at the podium um Bettingfield, obvious choice for communications director has the trust of biden a lot of white house experience um herself uh simone sanders she's a lot of experience from the campaign been working with kamala harris most recently you know same thing with uh, uh, Kareen, um, and, um, and Ashley Etienne, who's somebody that I hired to come to the Obama White House and ran cabinet communications, right? She's now working for Kamala Harris. That's why I make a point of saying, I don't think it's the all-female team. It's the all-star team and they happen to be females and that's, and that's great. Um, and I hear you about the, is it a mistake to lead with that? Um, cause does it diminish? Well, let me, Mike, what do you have to say? Well, let me put on my <laughs> Republican Grinch hat for a minute. Normally, right now, I would start making East German judge jokes and all that. But the the, the truth is, one, I envy Biden's situation on the cabinet because the Trump bar was so low. Literally, Clarence the talking mule could go to commerce and people would say big improvement, you know. So they, they, they're, they've, they've been in a lucky position. But as a conservative who's terrified about 
Democratic administrations ideologically. I'm not that cranky about any of the cabinet choices because Biden is tilting center pragmatic, which is about the best you can get. And I hear this from Republican staff on the Hill all the time, which is, God, it could be a lot worse. Not so bad. Yeah. You know, people are actually going to know how to, how to how to work the file cabinet now, you know. Right. So they there, have someone they can a, negotiate with. Right, right. So exactly. We're, we're back to regular order. So you can call somebody and not hear about MAGA Martian stuff, but actually do something on the funding for the thing to get the other thing done. <laughs> so I, I'm I'm giving Biden like a, an A minus on the cabinet, but I will say on the White House communication squad, I am a huge Jen Psaki fan. But if I were, and I can't speak for her, of course, but I'd be cranky about this. That the first definition of her is her gender. You know, I I don't care if she's a. Uh, a, a talking refrigerator. She is massively qualified and capable. And when they when they start hanging this picture frame of yay, look what we've done. It's all optics. They demean their own people. You know, I mean, it 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 just it it, it is not it is not good to them. And I I would not want to go through my professional career as you know one of the most talented Irish guys. You know, no. <laughs> You know, I don't that's how we about, all think of you, Murphy. We don't yeah, want to tell right, you right. that. But we do. All I have to do is be smarter than the other drunk Irish guy, and boom, I'm on Mount Olympus. That would be a slight on the other Irish, but 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 you see my <laughs> point. It, it it and this is I'm telling you, this is one of the lessons that the Dems have a hard time learning. But the congressional elections show you when the subtext of the election goes too heavily into identity. Uh, the Republicans sell tickets, man. And, and I just, I, I think it's unfortunate. They don't need to be so optic crazy over there. But have you know? they been, or is the press doing it for them? You know, well, they? you know, the press is a sucker for identity stuff. So you give yeah. them a little bit and you get a lot. They no, know they that. did lean in on the communications piece. Certainly, uh, they leaned in on, uh, uh, on, uh, the, uh, identity elements of it rather than focusing on the, the, eminent qualifications. I, I should note that uh, I fought to try, I fought for Jen to be White House press secretary nine years ago. <laughs> I mean, that's how much I think of her. And she's only that much more experienced now having been at the State Department. But, you know, on this on this point, I, I think there's a little bit of overcorrection. I mean, Biden has a very, very tough road here to navigate because he is a center-left Democrat. He's an older white man in a party in which uh, uh, the, you know, the base is, is clamoring uh, for diversity, and he is sort of an object of suspicion in some ways. His inner circle is more heavily male than female, and I think there's a bit of overcorrection going on, and uh, I think they're, they're making splendid appointments. Let the appointments speak for themselves rather than heralding each one yeah. as a historic uh, appointment. People will, as you say, Murphy, they'll get that for free. People will know that. But, uh, you know, don't let this whole thing become uh, sort of an identity jigsaw puzzle. Yeah. And get out of the defensive crouch. Being an old white guy who's been on the right side of every Democratic fight from the Democratic point of view for 40 years is not a war crime. <laughs> you know, so you don't have to apologize all the damn except time. to you I mean, guys. But well, yes, but badge of honor, I would say, from that point of view. You know, so they just need to. Well, we'll see as a, a little on that as don't it moves be, forward. But I will say on his cabinet, and I said this last week. Uh, you know, I'll make two points. Uh, one is in in his national security staff and his uh, and his uh, economic uh, his national security appointments and his economic appointments. They. Uh, they reflect his philosophy. They reflect 
the the themes that he ran on they reflect his worldview they reflect his commitments um and that is very very good uh, it seems very coherent to me uh you know janet yellen was a yeah. terrific pick and you know she is someone who is known as an advocate for uh you know uh, an economy that that produces uh you know, good jobs and wages, and that's that's what you want in that job. Uh, you know, Brian Deese, who's taking some heat uh, at the NEC, and you know him well, Jen. Yeah. Uh, to lead the NEC, one of the best guys, one of the best people, I should say, I've ever worked with. I I watched him as a young staffer on the NEC. Was the most important element of the uh, plan to rescue the American auto industry. Uh, really designed it. Uh, and it worked and uh, and then took the whole uh, climate change portfolio, but just a remarkable person. And uh, but he's getting beaten up. Why? Because he's worked at BlackRock. Yeah, because he went to BlackRock. Yeah, he's a capitalist. Oh, my God. Hang it. I know. Well, he went to BlackRock because they have huge resources and they could invest in a lot of, you know, in a lot of projects that would aid climate change. Right. Yes. Like that was the theory. Um, and I saw acts that you tweeted about him a few days ago, and I piled on a thread that Bill McKibben, you know, the big environmental activist did about in, in favor of Brian, just to say, you know, like, I just can't say this strongly enough. If you care about climate change, you want Brian Deese in the White House working on this, because there's no one that understands those levers of government across the board. If you want to make climate a priority you know, not just at EPA, but in all decisions that the government is making about how they spend money and make investments, like that is who you want at the at the controls. <laughs> this is turning into a uh, Jerry Lewis telethon here. This man, I, I love the guy. <laughs> I mean, am I, I, do you know Deese? He is like, I mean, oh my God, he's Deese great, and Saki and he would are be like, good in any, he's a pragmatist. Believe me, I am all for promoting, make him vice president. Well, but let, let, let me just make a point, though, about this, a larger point, not just the lionization of, of, of Brian. <laughs> but the, the fact is that you need they need to be pragmatic. I, I look at the, the half of America that voted against Democrats uh, and, uh, you know, there is a sensitivity in a lot of those places to the economic impacts of climate action. And climate action is imperative. You can see all the reasons why around you, Murphy, you're sitting in California. You can speak to that. But there has to be a sensitivity to what the ramifications are. You have to maximize the economic advantages to communities that may be hurt in the transition. You know, you have to think about how people view this from their own perspectives and not sit here in your ivory tower and moralize about why you have to give up your job or why you have to give up your business. Brian will understand that. And I think that's Absolutely. really important for Democrats. Totally. So right. The ugly little secret for the progressive left is if you can realign the incentives of the private sector, the American economy is so huge and so powerful, it has a hundred times the impact of government alone. So if you can move that, if you can change the way the, that world operates, you're you're moving the big boulder. But I, I have a text here from my friends at Justice Democrats for you two corporate <laughs> Dems. Uh, <laughs> And they want to know what the hell's the deal with Nira Tandon. Now, disclosure, Nira's a friend of yours, Axe, and yes, mine, and I assume friend. yours. We're on the board of the Chicago Institute of Politics together. But 
she can be a controversial figure. Whenever I'm having a bar fight, I always text her to make sure she clears her schedule to join me. She is a fighter, man. And that has ruffled a few ego feathers in this. The Philadelphia Flyers got rid of her too mean. Um, but but Nair is a warrior for her cause, but that has been polarizing. So you've got a few GOP Senate egos going at her, and the progressive left doesn't like her so what that's the one that the press they always got to find somebody to chew on you know and she's the one that the repubs have, have teed up a little bit and i think the progressives are going to jump on that bandwagon too what, what's our take on uh uh Nira tandon versus uh a whole lot of people i mean give me a friggin break you know it's like all crap i mean there's not anything real about the Nira. Um, about the Nero criticisms. Like, she's extraordinarily well-qualified for the job. I mean, this is the reason why, you know, they could have, the Biden administration could have just made her domestic policy advisor, no confirmation that would have, yep. you know, they would not have had to go before Congress. But they want her in this job because she is somebody, like, in her own life experience, she is the daughter of a single mom who is an immigrant who, like, was on food stamps and public housing. And, like, she knows the power and importance of these programs in people's lives. She understands not just numbers to her. She is a tenacious fighter. She will be like a great person negotiating. You're, you're not winning her Republican votes necessarily right now, but, <laughs> but go ahead. You know, it's like you want, you know, this is like, this is, you all are, you know, like Mike is sophisticated enough to understand this. Like you want a good person at OMB. If you are, if you are a Republican on the Hill, you want somebody who's super well qualified and gets politics right. and like knows how to make deals and like, you you want to be able to pick up the she, phone and call Nara Tandon and 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 do. so you know sure there's like tweets that are not great but you know <laughs> that that's what the Republicans are going to yeah, say only 10, like she hurt my them. feelings on Twitter. I mean, that's where it's going to go. I mean, it's going to, you know, she, she is uh, tenacious. I've been on the receiving end of a few of those and, and she's a dear, she's a dear friend of mine. (laughs) Yeah, me too. Angie's friend of mine. Yeah. Uh, In her defense. And, and I'll do a message in Republican language, but first she has something Biden needs, which is Nira has absolutely no trouble saying no, which you need in an OMB director. Cause otherwise, you know, the, the, the pie is going to be gone in a nanosecond and you're, there's a riot for more pie. So she's what Biden needs there. Second, and this is in Republican language, dear fellow Republicans, wise up. She's not a squish. We could do so much worse. She's a center, not business hating Republican. You want a damn socialist? Take the win for crying out loud. And if Lindsey Graham's feelings are hurt, too damn bad. The replacement will be worse unless it's, of course, the great Gina Raimondo. (laughs) <laughs> who would be great at that job too if nina if uh, nira yeah. doesn't make it i'm back she sent you one autographed picture and now you're putting she her up for every me, office. My heart of flutter yes <laughs> okay then let's take a break right here and we'll be right back speak, Jen, about how qualified these appointees are, and every single one of them, you know, I I admire them. Uh, uh, There is, again, like looking at it from the outside, putting yourself in people's shoes, um, there is a great suspicion about expertise and professional public administrators. And, you know, when Biden says, I want a cabinet that reflects America, by the time he's done, 
there ought to, you know, my, my neighbors here in rural Michigan ought to be able to look at some of these people and say, I see myself, not necessarily that I'm qualified for that right. job, but I see myself mm-hmm. because if you're going to reflect America, reflect all of it. Yeah. yeah. Hint Murphy to Amtrak. All right. Let's, I let's, suspect Biden has a candidate for that, but I'm not sure. Yeah. No, that's the problem. He actually couldn't fire anybody because Biden knows them all. So let's move on. We have a little tape here and let, let's set up this, you know, the hacks on tap theater of the radio mind here. Ooh. This <laughs> is Ronna Romney. Whoops. I can't use her real last name anymore because she changed it to not offend Trump. The name that got her <laughs> uh, elected Michigan state chair anyway. But, you know, we're put that little bit of betrayal and, and avarice aside. Ronna name you can't say, McDaniel, who is now our esteemed RNC yes woman and chairwoman, went thundering down to Georgia to straighten everybody out on the runoff. Let's hear a little tape. Things are switching the votes, and we go there in crazy numbers, and they should have won, but then they still... Yeah, we have to... We didn't see that in the audit, so we've got to just... That evidence I haven't seen, so we'll wait and see on that. How are we going to get money and work when it's already decided. It's not decided. This is the key. It's not decided. First of all, David Perdue still has a 100,000 vote to- a lead over John Ossoff right now with the, cer- with, the, with the certification. So if you lose your faith and you don't vote and people walk away, that's, that will decide it. Boy, you reap what you sow, my friends. <laughs> you know, if you have a president who's out there pers- trying to persuade uh, Republican voters that the election was rigged, that the machines were, uh, you know, part of a global communist plot to defeat him and Republicans and so on. And then you come back and say, oh, let's do it again. Uh, there, there are folks who are going to believe you and say, well, why should I pr- participate in a rigged system? I mean, it's uh, it'll be interesting to see when he says he's going down to Georgia for these Senate runoffs. What is he going to say? Just kidding. Yeah, no, no. This thing is like the the second remake of Planet of the Apes, the uh, <laughs> the one that Rupert Wyatt did, where they take all the chimps and they inject them with the magic juice, and they all turn into geniuses, and then they eat all the scientists and take over the world. Well, we have told our troops that vote by mail, which we freaking invented and won a lot of races with back when the two plus two equals four Republicans ran the party. My world. We, 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 and then he's told our goats that they shouldn't believe in it anymore. So now they're turning on the trainer. It's unbelievable. <laughs> Reap what you sow. I mean, I, Jennifer, how do you guys on the D side not just collapse laughing at 901 in the morning and, and try to try to stop by noon in a campaign now? Cause it's unbelievable. And the irony of seeing her eaten by some of her own hat pin ladies and, and Floyd our turbo hat people was delicious, I think. I mean, it is. It, it's it's remarkable to hear that, you know, that sort of like unadorned, organic, you know, just like watching that blow up in her face. Like to, just to hear it, those words come out of people's mouths. Like, of course, this is what's going to happen, right? You just, yeah, it's a remarkable thing. But Democrats don't love it because we just fret about like, well, what else is coming? Like, we can't ever live in the moment. We can't just be happy. So it's like, well... <laughs> It's like, well, what else is coming then? What's going to be replaced by? I want to get back to the mail-in voting in a second. But the bottom line is that Joe Biden won the presidency, and that was an existential battle. That was really important. But he he won by not by 7 million votes, but by a margin of 42,000 and change in three battleground states that if he had lost— 
uh, would have produced a tie and would have gone to the House and under the rules of the House, Trump probably would have been reelected. No point in getting into all the details of that. Uh, And uh, the thought was Democrats would take the Senate. Uh, you know, uphill battle in Georgia. Now Biden may have to face a Republican Senate. First Democrat since Grover Cleveland, who faced a, uh, who didn't bring in a Democratic Senate with him. And that especially hurts because Biden knew Grover Cleveland. But anyway. <laughs> I mean, it pains. <laughs> I, now you've stopped my train of, you know, the loss of state legislatures in a reapportionment yeah. year and so on. I mean, the news was, was, decidedly mixed and i don't say that to fred i say that to say what does it tell us what do we what do we know and this goes back to the discussion we had earlier we need we need to think a little bit more about how we break into some of these areas even if we can't uh, uh win as democrats uh and you know and not live in splendid indifference in the metropolises yeah and suburbs and expect that you know, we're going to and and by the way, every president, Democratic president uh, in modern history, uh, including Biden, understood that. And uh, and that's that's why uh, they won. But, you know, he couldn't yeah. he couldn't bring the party uh, along with him. So I think there's stuff to talk about. But on the mail in voting, Murphy, you and I, we were on we we sat here. We tried to warn the president we did. and you know he said a clarion call that was yet again ignored we know he listens to hacks uh you know in the golf cart and yeah. and yet he didn't listen the re- republicans were the ones as you said who've benefited for years from absentee voting and mail-in voting and he made it not kosher yeah no no he you know it's like he took his troops and said all right we're going to invade the jungle rule one throw away your malaria tablets <laughs> you know i mean it's got you know it, it is it is comical but now we're going to roll into Georgia. The party is desperately trying to tell people it's okay to vote by mail because these runoffs tend to be a turnout battle. It's just it doesn't have the the hoopla of Election Day. I was a veteran of the last one. I worked for Paul Coverdale way back wow. in God the '90s when the last uh, I think Republican side Georgia runoff yeah, when we beat Weiss Fowler. That's the and old treasure chest. Well, yeah, yeah, we 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 made talkies and eight track tapes, and but the bottom line was turnout war then, turnout war now. So the the question is going to be, will Biden be able to keep some of his magic together? And both Purdue and especially Kelly Leffler, the appointed senator, have some baggage. And will the Dems be able to keep the focus on them? Or will they get into an electron microscope of what's wrong with, you know, either either candidate? And there's going to be unlimited money sloshing around. What I'm going to be watching, both for political impact on both sides and for cheap comedy, is when Trump shows up. Because he says he's going to go down there. Now, let's, let's think about the combustible nature of this cocktail. Trump hates Brian Kemp, the governor. You know, mm-hmm. originally when Leffler was appointed by Governor Kemp, who was a Trumpy candidate. Trump uh, also was the guy who pushed Kemp forward to become right, right. governor. He was he right. was he was a Trumpy back then, but yeah. So from Trump's point of view, he owns Kemp. Kemp should bow at the emperor's zog, all that. But so Kemp shows up, 
this is a little Game of Thrones stuff, but it's worth a minute, and says for the seat, I'm not going to appoint old Belt Sander Collins, the insane congressman, your guy, Trump. I'm going to appoint my suburban businesswoman because that's how I'm going to win the election. So he points Leffler, pisses off Trump, shows a fair amount of independence then, surprisingly. Then she turns into a disaster because she, one, is a disaster, and two, she almost loses the primary to old Belt Sander Collins, who can get to the right of anybody. She's literally running ads, I'm Genghis Khan. Uh, and so she's kind of wrecked her image. No, I'm not kidding. They had these horrible ads with some, you know, hack local actor. I, you know, I, I salute him, earn a living, work, always good to work in the James Mason tradition. I'll do it. But he's in the Genghis Khan suit. And, you know, anyway. So she wins the primary, but she's ruined that image. And now she's got general election trouble. So Trump shows up mad at Kemp for the election and that, mad at the world because they all keep telling him he lost. The salad inside Trump's head that's <laughs> swirling around. Th- this rally is going to be unlike anything we've ever seen, and we've seen a lot. And I don't know if it'll motivate more D turnout, which they really need, or it'll keep the Trump troops going, or he'll sulk and send some weird negative message, and some Trump army people will sit on their hands. It- it's going to be pure nitroglycerin meets crazy town. And, uh, it's going to be unbelievable. And again, it may damage democracy because it could be an hour about go to the streets. The election was stolen. I had not considered, I had not processed, you know, like all of the Republican, the Georgia Republicans that he's been attacking. And mm-hmm. then when he goes down there, what that could, you know, what that's going to reap like that. Uh, yeah, they're one big he's family. He's not good the at bor- The Borgias. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it'll be the, 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 we have to find the right pun for red wedding applied to Georgia, the, the peach tree pulverization. Yeah. You two will figure it out, I'm sure. The question I have is, does it galvanize Trump's base? Does he get them to participate in the system that he calls fraudulent and rigged? My guess is his message will be, we have to vote in even greater numbers to overcome the right. rigged Avenge system. Avenge me! Yeah, it'll be Wrath of Khan. That'll be the big switch up. But the other question is, does he also rally the base that came out to vote against him in the general election, and does that, you know, did, particularly in those suburban areas, does that drive some voters who voted for Biden uh, back to the polls to vote for the Senate candidates there? All right, let's take a minute to hear from one of our esteemed sponsors. How about that, Palmieri? You don't have that on your show. No, I don't. I don't have a song at all. You you normally (laughs) have to go in a time machine to early 60s radio to get that kind of. That's actually a classic jingle that we had resung from uh, from uh, the, the Pam's Jams guys that were the king of jingles uh, across American radio in the 60s, 70s, 80s, and beyond. So if you have a question for the mailbag, send it to us at hacksontap at gmail.com. That is hacksontap at gmail.com. We look forward to seeing them, and uh, we love answering them. All right, what do we got, X? For you, Mike Murphy, I have a question from Dan who said, a lot of time was spent discussing the meaning of ads going up and coming down in various states, but TV ads are expensive, especially as markets become saturated. Now digital, surgically targeted ads are much less expensive and maybe more effective. What role do you see these ads playing in 2020? This must be a, a earlier a question that's been hanging around, but in these, let's say, in the, these runoffs, which uh, are coming up, and beyond? And should hacks and reporters shift their focus to those instead of looking at the blunt instrument of TV ads? As, a, as, a, as an old ad maker, I'm throwing that to you. 
Okay, well, first of all, it pays to advertise. Ads do work, but they're not like a laser sword that does everything. Ads are an amplifier. It can help move the issue agenda around. It can help provide the number one weapon of any campaign, new information. I mean, uh, Dan, if you were to send us on the uh, hacksontap at gmail.com your cell phone number, and I was to, for a ridiculously low amount of money, do a Hacks on Tap ad where I announced if somebody calls you, they can get a free hamburger. I guarantee your phone will ring a lot and you'll regret ever giving us the number. Now, there's always a lot of overthinking. There's always a new gimmick. Ah, this ad reads your mind. It only comes up when you're looking at a smartphone device about politics, blah, blah, blah. And campaigns can get lost in the plumbing and wiring technology and forget what really counts. In fact, Axe and I had a barroom chat many years ago. You, you may not remember this. You had a couple of drinks. Uh, I did too. I think we were in Chicago. And I said, you know what the funny thing is? This is after Obama won the first time in 2008. All the process media was, ooh, the internet, the internet. (laughs) Obama won because of the internet. And I'm like, you know what? Obama would have won if he didn't have the internet because he had the better message. The internet is a pipeline and it helps. And it's super important. It's revolutionized fundraising. I'm not diminishing it. But what happened the next week was 500 computer salesmen sold the RNC a whole lot of internet because that was the get. We got to get the internet. It's it, it, it the the ads and their targeting. It's all important, but it's all marginal. It's process. It's a little bit overrated. Message wins. Ads of all types, digital, whatever, amplify. And so you can get caught up in the is a OTT spot targeted to left-handed Bulgarian swing voters more important than a spot on the four o'clock news in Atlanta. The truth is, in their own way, they both work. The one thing that I would add to that is advertising is less effective in presidential races than they are in races for the House, for Senate, for governor, for state legislatures, because there's such a flood of information that people receive uh, and there's such uh, wall-to-wall coverage of presidential candidates that uh, people are going to default to what they see in the coverage rather than uh, the ads. But when you get down below, just ask any of these candidates who won or lost for the House or state legislative seats uh, what what advertising uh, meant. And I agree with Mike, all of it matters. uh, But uh, television advertising, at least at this juncture, is still uh, a big, broad weapon. You call it a blunt instrument, but it's also the most, you can reach a whole lot of people uh, very, very quickly. So th- it's it's still going to play a role uh, for time for some time to come. I have a question uh, here that is that really was meant for Jen Palmieri, and it comes comes from Gregory, uh, and it says David mentioned the Dems will need to soul search, especially around messaging. Who leads that? Who manages it? Keeps it in check, and how does it trickle through all of the party? I know you have the answer to this. <laughs> <laughs> he knows you have the answer to this, Axelrod. Um, I think that comes from Biden. You know, like I just, I don't, I don't believe. You know, people talk about the Democrats as if they're a monolith, or even ironically, as if someone's in charge, <laughs> right? Um, and 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 there's they're they're not a monolith. There's not one person in charge. But I think that what actually works is not is definitely not the DNC coming in and saying we're going to do a bunch of message testing and figure out what you know breakthrough in the parts of Michigan that we lost that we should have some kind of foothold in. Um, but Biden does that. Biden mirrors that. Biden is the a messenger who who, you know, it doesn't worry just about 
um, actually walks the walk when he says, I'm going to be a president for all of America and that the people who didn't vote for him as well, I feel like that, um, you know, being that kind of president sets a tone for the rest of the party. And he's the most important, um, he is the most important Democrat. But I think, and then, and then it starts, and then individual elected officials on the on the, on the local level, whether it's, you know, governors, I know you're like, Sitting there in Michigan, uh, David, you got a pretty good governor there who seems to um, listen to the people that she um, represents. Um, gets you know gets a fair amount of grief, but she's a great governor. She's uh, you know she's also as we've seen, she's you know there's there's resistance to her, yeah, uh, from some uh, on the right. Uh, you know, we all know about the unfortunate plot to kidnap her. She's going to, she'll have a robust uh, elect, reelect fight. Yeah, but they have, but the point is, like, it's the leaders that do this, right? It's not the, you don't develop a message in a laboratory, right? You develop, it, it, it comes from, it comes from leadership. And I hope that Biden, you know, I do, I mean, Axe, you had a great, you know, um, uh, comments earlier about concerned about you know the rest of America. I, I I share. I mean, I really worry about that. I don't live in blue silos. I I live in Trump country. You know, um, I, I I try to work really hard to understand what the appeal is. You know, what people care about. Uh, that in the end, every, you know, these people are all Americans. We got to figure out how to um, how to live together. And a leader that models that at the top. I think goes a long way to getting Democrats in a better situation to be, you know, have more people open to hearing them. Presidents define their parties. Donald Trump has yeah. defined the Republican Party. Maybe the Republican Party will evolve in somewhere into something else, uh, as Murphy hopes. But Donald Trump has defined the Republican Party as president. Governors tend to define their parties in states. Uh, you're absolutely right about that. You know, the Dems, too, just I don't normally want to give them advice as we built, rebuild the our party, but there is a huge, huge, huge asset inside the Democratic Party. I think he's the smartest political thinker they have. And I would take all the next generation of staff and I would lock them all up in a weekend and let this guy teach them a thing or two, which is Bill Clinton. Clinton <laughs> understands how to get the votes that the D's instinctively don't know how to get. And while he is still around, they ought to milk that cow of knowledge. Now, X, I have a vengeful uh, question for you, which you've been waiting for. This is from Pat, who's interested in getting even, settling some scores. All right, here we go. Ready? You're going to like this one. How aggressively should the next Department of Justice be in pursuing illegal behavior by Trump, his family, and his administration? I realize this will inflame polarization further, but is there an approach where justice can be served? You know, I really, I think this is a really important question, and I know that this is one that has stirred a lot of uh, heated discussions in parlors uh, where I have been invited, but won't be again. <laughs> <laughs> From Manhattan to Los Angeles, covering the entire Democratic gamut. Biden has said he does not, that he is not interested in, in, in seeing Trump pursued, uh, that that is not uh, on his agenda. 
because he doesn't want to 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 uh, signal what Trump has throughout, which is that the justice system is somehow a political arm of the president and is responsive to the president. Um, I, I do remember this question came up at the beginning of the Obama administration when the question came up, should people be prosecuted for their role in uh, enhanced interrogation techniques? And Obama said, I think we need to look forward, not back. This would rip the country apart at a time when we need to come together. I don't think that the Department of Justice should uh, pursue uh, Trump. Uh, and, you know, but that does not mean that local authorities in New York, for example, uh, that have been looking at his businesses shouldn't or can't. I suspect that they will. But I think that uh, for Biden, as president of the United States and his attorney general, you know, th- there is a message to be sent here that this, you know, the, we we are not, we don't want to be involved in prosecutions that, however righteous, uh, will be depicted by, you know, large numbers of Americans as politically motivated uh, at a time when we're trying to rebuild trust in the rule of law. The counter argument, of course, is, well, if he, if the rule of law means everybody is subject to the law, and if he broke the law, he should be uh, prosecuted, but I, I, I do think it would be convulsive for the country. And if I were, and I'm not in a position to <laughs> to recommend, I, I would support what uh, what Biden has said. Yeah. yeah, Biden has the right instincts on this, and Trump will just make it partisan. It could actually benefit Trump. Let the Southern District do their thing. Don't do the congressional investigation. Just get it out of D.C. politics. Now, a quick plug: uh, we know we have a very literate audience here. And I've got a book plug for you. There is a wonderful book that came out, I think, two years ago called When the Center Held, Gerald Ford and the Rescue of the American Presidency. And it was all about how they dealt with getting Nixon out of office, whether to prosecute him afterward, the deal they made, and then how Ford tried to get the country and together and repair the presidency. And you know who wrote it? I do. A young moderate Republican who was in the middle of it all, Don Rumsfeld. Yeah. Don't I know our liberal audience is like, wait, no, boo. It is a good book and it's I so it. apropos right now. What, what did you yeah. think? No, I read it. It's good because he it was uh, Javelin are my literary agents, and so um, uh, they uh, gave me a copy. Um, and uh, yeah, I thought it was really good. There's another book called 31 Days that is, a, you know, that's, that was written maybe 10 years ago, but goes back over the the month where Ford decided to pardon Nixon. And it is phenomenal. Um, but they're both really great. About I find that time period really. It's fascinating. Compel- yeah. Really, really interesting. And Ford does not get the credit that he deserves for like holding us together. Yeah, it really was. He, he, and he knew that he was likely sacrificing his, uh, right. his ability to get reelected. Yeah. You know, he did another thing. He appointed, uh, uh, Edward Levy, the, the president of the university of Chicago as attorney general, a guy who was completely non-political and said, you, you know, I need you to, to restore trust in this in, within the agency outside restore trust in the rule of law, and Levy went a long way uh, to doing that. No, Jerry Ford is uh, underappreciated for the patriotism that he showed uh, during that period. So thank you for you, you literati, for your... Your book. I feel I feel like completely remiss here because I don't have a third to throw on on the pile. But maybe we can do a book club show later, huh? I think we could. There's there's so many. Uh, if you're a real nerd, a lot of them you got to buy used. But uh, 
They're just a bunch yeah. of tremendous stuff. And as you say, Jen, that was an amazing, an amazing period. It could teach us something about what to do now. Now to wrap up, we have a little bit of housekeeping. Uh, the Hacks on Tap board of directors met because we were able to arrange all the right paroles and work releases. And we're, we're continuing, but we're going back to one a week. So next week, Brother Gibbs will be back. I'll be on assignment with uh, Dr. Axelrod. And then I think we're going to do another one. And then we're going a little holiday break. But we're going to stick around and, and torment our listenerships as we launch into the Biden era of American politics. Well, as long as we have Palmieri every once in a while, I think we're going to do okay. Hallelujah. Both of you are just delightful. It really is. I mean, I really enjoy talking with you both. Well, you are delightful. Thank you. And one more plug for your great podcast. Axe, take it away. Just something about her. Jen Palmieri through Recount. You can hear more of her brilliance every week. And uh, we urge you to tune in. Or whatever it is you do with a podcast. <laughs> all right. We'll see you all next time. 